Hey, it's Monty. You've got two more days to enter our Apple Watch giveaway. Raffle closes December 25th at midnight. Enter at mlminutes.com slash giveaway. Hi, I'm Monty Zwiebel, CEO of Splice Machine. You're listening to ML Minutes, where cutting-edge thought leaders discuss machine learning in one minute or less. This episode, our guest is Jimmy Crawford, CEO of Orbital Insight, a startup that uses satellite imagery to understand national and global socioeconomic trends. Welcome, Jimmy. Thanks, Monty. Jimmy, you and I have been around similar circles. You were at NASA Ames. Um, That was a great experience for me in my career. You've worked on supply chain initiatives and I2 technologies, built data platforms and composite Um, You even worked on mining the moon, but in your own words, can you tell us about the journey that you're on right now and how you got there? Certainly. So about six years ago, I was looking at the state of the space. And one of the things I noticed that there was a, there were a tremendous number of startups working on launching rockets, launching satellites to look at the earth. And I'm thinking Skybox, Planet Labs, Earthcast, um, Black Sky, and they all had plans to build massive constellations. But nobody was thinking about what to do with the imagery when it comes down to the Earth. And if you do some back-of-the-envelope math, you realize that if you have imagery of the land surface of the Earth and you want to look at it all every day and see all the cars and all the trucks and all the ships and all the planes, all the roads and all the buildings, you'd need 8 million people doing nothing all day every day but staring at satellite imagery. If you had that 8 million people and you had them well-organized, you could figure out the world's economy, right? What's going on? Where the economic cycle is going up and down and who's trading with whom and who's farming well and who's mining, right? But, but that's a lot of people. Nobody's ever going to dedicate 8 million people to looking at satellite imagery all day every day. So, so the answer, it seemed to me, was to use AI for this, especially with the gr- tremendous advances we're seeing in computer vision and set up the computer vision so that it can process the imagery and count the cars and the trucks and the ships and the planes. That's a fantastic discovery there. And I'm really excited about your venture. What I'd like to know is, how does your company build models from this satellite imagery and other complementary data? Sure, that's actually relatively straightforward. Um, if we have a, a type of objects we want to find, let's say we want to identify trucks, um, we simply start with a tremendous amount of imagery, and we do we do labeling campaigns. You know, it's it's really very classic supervised labeling from a CV point of view. Now, it's a little bit different from other kinds of CV because we can do rotations and we can do other kinds of transformations that don't make sense on terrestrial imagery because you pretty much never seen a, see an upside down truck on a road. But from a satellite point of view, you can see the trucks in any orientation. So we do different kinds of perturbations on the imagery. But other than that, it's a traditional labeling campaign. We build large data sets, large labeled data sets. We try to get different lighting conditions, um, different parts of the world, different kinds of roads, different sized trucks, put it all together into a large training and test set. And then beyond that, it's it's a pretty straightforward you know, um, train, training of a convolutional neural network. Fantastic. And so what these supervised learning models are doing are taking those labels and learning exactly which of the images and what features of those images are predicting those labels. One of my favorite applications that I've read about for your company, Orbital Insights, is increasing the transparency of business supply chains. Mm -hmm. Could you tell us a, a little bit about what your inspiration was for this and was there a specific problem you were trying to solve? 
Sure. Um, there's a bunch of great problems in supply chain, but one of, I think, the most profound one is, a, is around sustainability. And there, there are actually several problems that you have to solve. One of them is, what does deforestation mean? Because often supply chain sustainability is about, are you causing deforestation? Now, if you are managing a plantation and every 10 or 20 years you cut down the trees, that's not actually deforestation. It may be ugly, it may be unfortunate, but it's not deforestation. Deforestation is when you have a virgin rainforest that's been there for a thousand years and you cut it down. So we actually trained deep learning algorithms using the same kind of labeling approach to learn the difference between a managed forest and a virgin rainforest so that we could then look at incidences of deforestation and then go back a couple of years and see whether the thing that got cut down was a, was a virgin rainforest or a, or a managed forest. So that's a part of sustainability that, that's really nice. Excellent. So why is it important for you to be able to locate deforestation uh, from a supply chain perspective? What do you do with that information? Well, so so in order to say, let's say let's say that you are um, a big company like a, like a Unilever or a Bungie, and you're buying a tremendous amount of palm oil. It goes into the things you make, and you want to be able to put a sticker on your goods in the store shelf that says "sustainably farmed." What that really means is the process of building that product didn't cause environmental harm. Uh, didn't cause serious environmental harm, and one of the major kinds of serious environmental harm you worry about for chocolate for for palm and for, for other products is deforestation. So you want to look at the places where that product is farmed and make sure that those places weren't virgin rainforests any time in the last X number of years where X is defined by your definition of sustainability. Thank you so much for that. Let me see if I understand then translating that into the machine learning models. Does that mean that for any one of these farms, you're creating models that predict the likelihood that the raw materials were sourced from a good location versus a location that may have committed yeah. some sort of deforestation? Yeah, and then, and then the other part of this, of course, is knowing where the goods came from. So, so we know where the Unilever uh, factories are, but then we have to figure out where the trucks are coming from that come into those factories and trace them back to the farms. And we actually use anonymized cell phone data for that. So we get, we get very large amounts of anonymized cell phone pings, and we don't know whose phone it is, but we can tell it's the same phone that pinged this as pinged that within the course of a day. So we can say, this, these trucks all came from this plant, and they all went to this farm. So this is one of the farms that's supplying that mill. And we do that you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of times. We actually figure out the empirical structure of the supply chain. Right. So now you know where the stuff is coming from. And you look at those places, you go back in time and look to see whether or not they were deforested sometime in the last few years. And that gives you a picture of the sustainability of that plant. I see. So you've traced the supply chain using machine learning models and knowing the routes of both the source and the destination to tackle this very important problem for mm -hmm. our, our planet and for business. Mm -hmm. What's one specific challenge you faced along the way? In terms of the sustainability. Yeah, um, yeah so, so one of the interesting problems that we ran into is that I, I mentioned earlier that we want to, we really, the, the hardest thing for the customer is tracking all the way back to the farms because there are literally millions of farms. Many of these palm oil plantations are mom and pop operations. 
And so getting the details of that supply chain is quite hard. Unlike Monty, when you and I used to work on supply chain optimization, those were supply chains that were, compared to that, relatively small and short and well understood, right? These mm -hmm. are in Indonesia, they're hugely broad. So getting enough um, data, enough cell phone pings to really elucidate that supply chain has been a real challenge. So we've been looking at multiple providers for that data. We've been looking at having the um, drivers that are working in the, in the supply chain for our customer, actually having them install custom apps that just ping us under the contract where we only use those pings to establish supply chain structure, right? So just getting a data set together that's rich enough to really understand that very complicated supply chain has been a really interesting challenge. Fantastic. Maybe one more question is, is there a specific challenge that you've had in building a business on machine learning? And you know, not just one particular use case like the deforestation and sustainability use case we're talking about, but you're taking this very fast moving science that um, has really just emerged into the business world and you're building a whole venture up on this. What's been a big challenge there? I think the biggest challenge has been balancing um, the the need for R&D against the need for business certainty. Um, so if you go into a customer and the customer says, you know, we want to track trucks in, um, let's say you want to track trucks in Cairo because you think it'll be a good proxy for Egyptian GDP. Um, and, and we've got a truck detection algorithm, but the precision in recall is only, the F1 score is only 60, right? Mm -hmm. 60%, right? So, and we know we need to get a 90% recall in order to get, or we think we need a 90% recall to get a good correlation with the GDP. You know, what kind of timeline and what kind of precision and recall are we willing to commit to that customer, given that we're going to have to perhaps break new ground in terms of the structure of convolutional neural networks for satellite imagery for trucks, right? And how aggressive can we reasonably be in those commitments, given that, as I say, we are doing fundamentally a kind of R&D on imagery. Yeah, that's fascinating because every project that you take on, it's a project independent of previous projects. It has its own um, challenges technically, and you can't know ahead of time whether you can nail it with a high degree of precision and recall. So you must always be balancing that in your sales cycles. Well, now looking forward, mm -hmm. what is the biggest innovation you see coming next? What are you most excited about? So what, one of the things that, we're, that we are interested in is, is how much can be done with synthetic data. Um, so so the, the labeling problem, as we mentioned earlier, tends to be the bottleneck. It tends to be the case that if you need higher precision and recall, the quickest and, easy, and not easiest and cheapest, but definitely the most certain way to increase that precision and recall is to just label you know, 10 times as much imagery. Um, but that does get expensive. So, so the idea of using um, basically a computer game derived um, uh, image generation, and in certain cases, maybe going directly from the CAD drawings for the object or just from an idea of what the object looks like and using that to generate, it, once you've got that working, you can generate an arbitrary amount of labeled imagery. Um, but it comes at a price because now that is synthetic imagery. It's not real satellite imagery. And so the, the, there's a huge danger that the convolutional neural network will take advantage of, of artifacts in that synthetic imagery that are not going to be present in the real imagery. So you will overtrain. Um, but but if we can solve that problem, it's a fantastic way to get very large training sets. Fantastic. Yeah, there's a, a number of people who have been talking about generating synthesized uh, examples to be able to le learn from or using simulations to generate examples. 
And it seems like the always bias is the worry that your simulation or your synthesis might actually be uh, introducing a bias that's uh, making the model not as good as it could be from the mm -hmm. actual examples. Well, now I'd like to ask you a few questions outside of Orbital Insights mm -hmm. and looking at our field in general. Okay. Um, if you think about all the work that's being done in our field of machine learning, what's an innovation that you're really excited about right now? Um, I, I, think, I think the whole area of unsupervised learning is probably the area that I think is most exciting because as long as, you know, building on the idea of synthetic imagery, but, but going way beyond it, right? As long as you are working from labeled training sets, you are necessarily approximating human performance and you're always at the mercy of the quality of your labeled data. And you're always limited by the number of labelers that you can afford to get. Um, but the more we can push into unsupervised areas, um, you know, the, the work that AlphaGo did where, they, where the Go game actually played itself like a gazillion times and they eventually achieved superhuman performance. I find that incredibly inspirational for the whole field. Fantastic. So unsupervised learning does not require let labels, typically clustering or categorization types of, of techniques. How will you use unsupervised learning if indeed they become very powerful? Well, I think I think there's a few different areas. Like, for instance, I, I actually would view the synthetic synthetic imagery generation as a kind of unsupervised learning, even though it's technically a labeled image. It doesn't require that people go and write that label, right. right? So, so it can be run at arbitrary scale, which is the real advantage of unsupervised learning. So, we will use it in general as a way to get higher and higher accuracy. I think another area that's really interesting is there's some anecdotal evidence that it may be possible to detect things like cars and trucks and roads and buildings in much lower resolution imagery where humans can't see them. And the problem is there is no way to label that, right? Because humans can't see it, right? So if we could find a way to get synthetic data generation or some sort of co-collex or some other unsupervised techniques, we may actually be able to over time do some sort of super resolution type solution for lower resolution imagery, which might let us really open up a lot of lower resolution imagery to this, to this problem of understanding the earth. Oh, fantastic. I'm really intrigued to, to see where you go with this, of being able to actually generate examples and to be able to then find um, finer grained uh, models than you could have done with actual labeling techniques. Mm -hmm. All right, fantastic. Well, thank you so much. It's been a pleasure, Jimmy, to, to chat and to um, learn more about how you're using machine learning in various ways with both satellite imagery fused with all kinds of other data. You're doing great things uh, for the planet and being able to um, help find sustainable supply chains. And we really appreciate you sharing some of your thoughts today. Thanks, Monty. It's been a lot of fun. If you want to hear about the specific tools Orbital Insights uses for computer vision, check out our bonus minutes. They're linked in the show notes below and on our website, mlminutes.com. We'll be talking about self-driving cars for the first episode of 2021 on Wednesday, January 6th. To stay up to date on our upcoming guests and giveaways, you can follow our Twitter and Instagram, at mlminutes. ML Minutes is produced and edited by Morgan Sweeney, I'm your host, Monty Zwieben, and this was an ML Minute. Happy holidays.